Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, we are here with a Tottenham update. Joining us, of course, is the terrific Steve Magookin, who you can find on Twitter at Steve Magookin. He's also the former chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Group. Uh, Steve, it has been an interesting time at Tottenham since we last spoke. Um, the whispers were that we were going to have a manager appointed by the end of the season when we uh, let go of Jose Mourinho to stay before the Carabao Cup final. <laughs> Turned out to be super not the case. 72 days in total between Jose Mourinho being let go and us hiring a new manager. Before we get to who that manager is, though, what did you make of the duration of that process and just all of the, the twists and turns that went along the way? Oh, uh, Kevin, it, it, it's good to be back. First of all, it's good to be back talking with you. But, uh, oh, my goodness. Um, I, I think the one thing I have to say straight off the top is I, I'm actually glad to have a manager and a director of football in place ahead of the preseason. But, uh, you know, there's there's no denying that, that the club has become a sitcom over the past few months. Um, I mean, from the initial sacking of Mourinho through the the saga of trying to find a replacement. The club, or, the club didn't exactly cover itself in glory. It was almost as if each of the names we were associated with had their own episodes in the sitcom. Uh, Rogers and Nagelsmann at the start, uh, Fonseca, <laughs> Conte, Gattuso, Ten Hag, all different storylines about why they weren't quite the, the perfect match and all revealing a character flaw about the main uh, half of the relationship. And, of course, <laughs> Jose, Jose ended up being like a central character who gets his own spin-off show, but nobody can stop talking about them. <laughs> I mean, you and I have talked about this in, uh, in the past. I mean, personally, I, I was keen on Ralph Rangnick, uh, given the, the needs that we had going forward. But then, you know, you hear things like he's he's difficult to work with but every coach at least every decent coach i think is probably difficult to work with in in some way uh but again i think what we've seen over the past few few weeks is is just another aspect that makes us uh, appreciate what we what we had when we had potch um and uh, you know paratici fabio paratici officially starts his job today july the 1st um, although he's already been been working plenty of overtime, clearly, and and one of the interesting um, uh, backstories or relationships is going to be the the Jorge Mendes uh, influence on the club going going forward. So there was that uncertainty that just made us look 
um, made us look like a, a very amateurish outfit mm. for a while, and and then after the nonsense with Gattuso, um, you know, we that was that was a fresh low, Kevin. I, I was honestly expecting to hear a statement like that the, the club is very impressed with Ryan Mason last season, and I, I really sort of fully expected them at some point to reappoint him for a year, which I suppose when you think about it would make perfect sense if the first thing you're doing is is starting a rebuild you know you use the youth team coach to filter out which of the young players can come through and, and make the grade sooner rather than later but you know um all things said and done as you say we have our man whether um the recent uh Fenerbahce speculation may have may have forced levy's hand whatever it doesn't it, it doesn't really matter now um nuno is the first portuguese to manage the club in three months and uh, more encouraging <laughs> and more, I think, worth celebrating for now, the first manager of colour to hold the job on a, on a permanent basis. Uh, the legend that is Chris Hutton was, of course, our caretaker manager twice in the late mm. 1990s. But, you know, as, you, uh, you, as you've said, our fan base has been through a lot recently. Uh, no, it's no wonder at all that it's fractured in its reaction to Nuno. Uh, there'll always be those who say, you know, get behind the team no matter what. And I, I probably fall into that general category. But in order to get fully behind something, you have to feel like you have some confidence in where it's going to take you. Um, and, and in terms of the direction of the club and everything has happened since the sacking of Mourinho. And particularly, I think, the collapse of the ASL, which I think will turn out to be a pivotal moment in Enix ownership of the of the club. All of that has combined to show that at, at best our outlook is short term and at worst it had become close to outright desperation. And I think it'll it'll take something significant to change that mindset for a lot of people, uh, I think. But the, the good news, the good news, and I think there is some good news. Nuno's introductory message, I think, was a really good start. He said all the right things. He seems genuinely excited to take on the challenge. Paratici does seem to like him. They do seem to have, you know, at least they're on the same page in that uh, in that relationship. So I think for now, uh, I'm happy the guy's in place. I mean, I'm happy anybody's in, well, almost anybody's in place. I'm happy he's in place. Hmm. Uh, let's see what he does, and we'll judge him at Christmas uh, when, of course, the, um, the, the winter transfer window is, is obviously going to be more important than usual this year. Yeah, I, I think you make a lot of really good points there. The the whole process was absurd. I think you hit all of the names that were that were heavily linked throughout the time. I think uh, the reports that at the end it came down to Potter and Nuno when the managers that were available <laughs> in May were Potter and Nuno is uh, not ideal. And then obviously Potter would have required a fifteen to twenty million pound. Um, buyout. I think is one of the reasons why it ended up being Nuno, as you mentioned. Also, the connections to uh, Jorge Mendez and uh, Fabio Paratici, who obviously is is connected in that whole kind of web. Um, and I, I think that's one of the big concerns that a lot of Spurs fans have is is how much influence will Jorge Mendez have now? And if people have looked at at his uh, client list, while it has many talented players, most of them have already made their big moves recently. A lot of them to Manchester City. Um, probably the highest profile one that we might be interested in would be Renato Sanchez. Probably not that interested in, in, in Gonzalo Guedes unless um, both Lucas and Lamella left. Um, but, you know, still having 
Son and Bergvain, Sessegnon, depending on where we view his position long term. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure if, if winger is the way to go. And if it was, we should get Neto, who was very clearly the best player well, for uh, exactly, Nuno yeah. last season. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what that relationship is like. I think it's very clear now that while the deciding three used to be Steve Hitchin, Mauricio Pochettino, and Daniel Levy, that it has very quickly become Jorge Mendez and what he tells Nuno <laughs> and Fabio Paratici, which is like, why did you go out and spend the money to bring in one of the highest profile directors of football yes. in Europe if you're just going to do what Mendez wants? Uh, I mean, do you, do you think, I mean, neither of us really have the sort of insight that, that is required into the, the brain behind uh, how Daniel Levy approaches this, but do you think... Do you think he got Paratici with the intention of getting Conte yes. and then find himself just stuck? 100%. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what's interesting is that we didn't announce him until the Conte talks had already fallen through. So there was a couple-day period where he could have bailed on the whole thing. But I think you mentioned the ESL. Not only was it damaging for us financially long-term, I think it really damaged his ego. He already was on a pretty bad run of decisions for like mm-hmm. 8 to 12 months before that. And yeah. then I think seeing that crumble... Uh, like when everybody's doing all the Levy out stuff, yeah. that's basically what's happened. He still yeah. is a part owner of Enix, still a part owner of the club, and obviously a chairman of the club, which is why when people <laughs> say Levy out or Levy should be sacked, you're like, by whom? <laughs> but, but um, yeah. Well, the, upside, the potential upside, and I totally agree with you about the, the bruising of his ego and how important that is to him. The potential upside of that for us is that he may not want to compound his misfortune by actually selling Kane. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. And that's been the, the noise all summer was that we were telling managers that we potential managers that we weren't going to sell him. And again, I, I think if Manchester city have a check written for 150 million pounds, they can still have him tomorrow. I just don't think they're going to do it. Um, it would be almost three times their biggest ever purchase. Uh, for uh, going to be 29-year-old with historic ankle issues when, like, 150 or 160 could probably get you Holland. Also probably not going to move this summer, but I think it's just a bad year for them to need a striker. I, I don't think they, they timed that well at all, whereas a lot of their previous departures lined up well with up-and-comers, like they let go of David Silva right as um, Phil Foden was really developing, stuff like that. But anyway, not <laughs> to talk too much about City. But. It is well. It's fascinating because for Spurs fans, that is kind of the big preoccupation at the moment. And and I think in a way, the the, the Harry to City situation took a turn when uh, when Sterling became part of the equation. Mm. Uh, whether that was intentional or not, I'm not sure. But certainly that seems short-sighted on the part of City, but it also gave an indication that uh, that we're not going to get anything remotely like the sort of uh, um, cash value or, or monetary value that um, that Levy is holding out for. Yeah, I agree. And I don't really think Sterling is exactly the player we need. I've mentioned before, I think Imerick Laporte is, is the player that I'd want back, but Levy is saying that he doesn't want to do a player plus cash deal, although Levy's not in charge anymore. Um, and I think the hiring of... Paratici and then Nuno was the like final decision that he made. I think that that was him turning it over because you saw, especially with the Paulo Fonseca thing, it was originally Paratici's idea. Levy liked the idea. Paratici pulled back a little bit after their 
<laughs> summer vacay together and I think it was Como, Italy, but Levy yeah. was still pushing for it. Instead yeah. of getting who Levy wanted, Pratici bailed on Fonseca, got interested in Gattuso. <laughs> we trended internationally, no to Gattuso, and then ended up with Nuno after Levy reportedly had reservations about that hire. So I, I think this was like the last time that Levy was going to be involved. I think having folded to uh, Mendez, to Paratici, and to Nuno, I, I don't think he's going to be in the room anymore. He might have like final accept, reject stamp, but I don't think he's going to be really part of the football conversations going forward, which is probably good because he's a very good businessman off the pitch in non-football related things. So, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. there, 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 there is a big ledger with uh, pluses and minuses on both sides for Daniel Levy, absolutely. Mm. I think yeah. we are, as you say, you know, going back to the ESL for a second, um, the desperation aspect that came out this summer is uh, the reason he went after Conte was, can you get me back into the Champions League? I want to get back into the Champions League. That's the main, that's yeah. the main thing. And Conte said it'll cost you, and he said, never yeah. mind. Exactly. And he, he obviously did the sums, and that wasn't, that wasn't there. Uh, for me, the fascinating one was uh, was why they bailed on Fonseca, and I don't think it was just because Gattuso suddenly became available. But I, you know, me what either. do I know? Um, it, it, there seemed to be something else there, um, but it, it, it was certainly uh, certainly the, a cause of great speculation. Um, mm. Anyway, yeah, I agree. I think Gattuso was the excuse to get out of the Fonseca deal. I don't think it was why we got out of the Fonseca deal. Reportedly, the issue was that when they were talking through tactics and everything, um, Fonseca kept talking about how to get the most out of the attack, and Paratici thought we really just need to work on the defense, which well, we probably do. In all fairness, um, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, and, and I think a big question a lot of Spurs fans are asking themselves right now is would you rather have Fonseca or Nuno a year ago it's probably Nuno after the rough year that Wolves had maybe not well it you always have an advantage if you have a manager who has managed in the Premier League before especially one who has managed with some degree of success and also um against the odds or or fighting against uh against a run of poor form which I think Nuno certainly has has learned from his experiences both in the first season when they came up and also uh in the in the slightly less successful final season so it, it always helps to have a, a, a rounded um uh, a rounded manager who has managed in the prem before knows the players knows the setup that's why i think um that, that was actually a smart move by everton getting getting rafa yeah, even despite the fact that that has uh, gotten Gattuso-esque backlash from from the Everton faithful. Um, in spite of everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of uh, Nuno's previous successes in the Premier League, I just wanted to touch on some stats before we talk about how it might work at Tottenham. So uh, against the top six, Nuno's Wolves have 10 wins and 9 draws since he joined them and since they were promoted to the Premier League. Tottenham, seven wins, five draws. That's the big selling point here, is that Tottenham have really struggled against the big, air quotes, big six, dating back to Pochettino. I feel like AVB might have actually done relatively well against the big six, but it's it's long been an issue. 
um, at Spurs is that we we have not been beating some of the bigger sides. And Nuno comes in having done it a lot and in some pretty exciting wins, like some two and three nils against some of the bigger sides in England. Um, and I think that's a really big selling point. I think that's the good news. The bad news for me is I went diving into a bunch of the attacking statistics. Obviously, one of the big debates is, is he too defensive? Can he actually play attacking football? We keep being told, you know, look at his Valencia, look at his Porto, um, kind of balance that against his Premier League performance. But, you know, Wolves had played some exciting football under him in those years when they finished seventh consecutively, their first two years back up. But uh, they never finished higher than eighth in goals or assists. Last year, they were bottom five in both of those. Uh, never higher than ninth in chances created. Uh, never higher than 11th in touches in the box in a season for them. The only thing that they were top five in over his entire tenure there was expected goals conceded. Second and fourth, their first two years up. And then expected points, fifth and sixth in 1920 and 1819. So, like, we... Talk about how well Wolves did, and in the table, they certainly did well. But a lot of these numbers are in the, like, 8th to 12th range, which, you know, yes, they they overachieved the second they stepped into the Premier League, but they had some really quality players, thanks to their their own Jorge Mendes um, relationship. And some of that does not make for the happy reading that I thought I was going to see. I, I literally started looking at those numbers because I was like, people are underselling uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, they played some good stuff. They had some good players, especially the the like Jota Jimenez Dowerty year where they like made up at least thirty three percent of their goals. Um, but yeah, not not that exciting, unfortunately. What what are your reactions in general to him being the guy and some of those numbers and what it may portend for us? Well, obviously, you you are uh, much more um, equipped to analyze the statistical approach uh, than I am. But I, I I certainly agree with you. I think what we saw in the certainly in the first season, maybe in the part of the second season as well, was a lot of the other teams, including the the bigger teams, underestimated uh, Wolves and underestimated um, Nuno's uh, tactical uh, ability. And so I think in a way that is something that he has going for him, but also something that, that the bigger teams are going to be looking out for again, uh, whenever he come, when whoever he came back into the league with. And I think it was always, uh, it was always inevitable that he would manage another premier league team. Um, uh, there was talk linking him to crystal palace at one stage. And I thought that actually might be a very good uh, fit for him. But, um, but I, you know, in, in, say he's with us. Um, Levy's statement the other week about the DNA of the club, I think is, is that that'll stand as the sort of statement that anybody can read anything into. I mean, some, mm. some people saw it as a direct criticism Mourinho, you know, the, the spinoff, there's that spinoff sitcom character again, but, but really what, you know, if you're saying you're in favor of playing attacking football, it's, it's like saying you're in favor of road safety, you know, especially at Spurs, <laughs> you know, Obviously, tactical setups uh, depend on two things, the players at your disposal and the players on the team you're up against. And any manager has to be able to demonstrate that they're flexible enough to adapt to changes on either side of those equations. Um, I suppose Nuno initially was was known at Wolves for playing like a 3-4-3 and using the, the wids. Uh, on the on the flanks, the wins of the fullbacks is an attacking uh, force. So I suppose in a way that's encouraging if he if he feels that that's his most comfortable uh, uh, setup. 
And he relied, obviously, on uh, Connor Cody uh, to be able to spread the ball out from the back when, when they're going forward. And I, I just wondered if that would be the role that he would look for uh, Eric Dyer to play. Um, so, you know, who knows? But uh, again, we have to sort out our own back four. Um, going forward and, 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 and from an attacking perspective, they, they relied a lot on, on dribblers like Traore and Neto, um, uh, obviously to put the, the, the opposition on the back foot. And we, we have players like Sonny and, and Mora and Bergwijn, if, <laughs> if they're still around, uh, who, who can do that. But it, it would... It would also help for us to have Lacelso be more direct uh, and try and turn possession uh, into attack more quickly. I think so. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, as I say, the, the the proof will be in the results in the initial few months, uh, and I, it will be interesting both in terms of who we bring in uh, and also um, what way we set up against the bigger teams. Um, with with essentially the holdover uh, squad or the holdover sort of first choice eleven from uh, from the past season. So yeah, mm. I think it's it, it's up for grabs really at the moment. And I just I just hope Nuno is uh, strategically flexible enough to be able to respond to uh, changes that are necessary when uh, when it doesn't when it doesn't work out for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, despite some of the statistics not looking great, um, I actually think the tactics line up fairly well with the squad, especially because he has opposite sides of the pitch on the wing do opposite things. So at Wolves, especially in that like 2018-19 run when they were doing so well, um, on the left, they had Jota cutting inside with Johnny overlapping him on that side. So for us, that's Sonny cutting inside and Regulon overlapping, and he has an excellent cross on him. And then on the inverted side, it flips. So Adama Traore would stay out wide, and then Dougherty would cut inside on an underlap, yeah. which would be Dougherty again, <laughs> hilariously. And then, like you said, one of Lucas, but he tends to cut in, so that might congest things. So I'm thinking Bergvine, who is just like Sonny, pretty two-footed and could probably whip in some crosses from the right as well. I think that lines up pretty well. You mentioned Lacelso. My first thought was Ndombele as the Matinho, but the more I think about it, Lacelso crunches into tackles a lot more frequently and also likes playing in the advanced spaces a little bit more. So maybe you play Lacelso where Matinho was. I'm not really sure if Hoybier can be an analog for Ruben Neves. Maybe we'll go for Ruben Neves now that we poor Mendes running things. Um, but in theory, that works. And then you have a back three. And while Connor Cody did very well in his role there, their center backs are not very good individually. Right. But he got them working as a unit that perennially finished top five, top six in goals conceded, which is promising for us, considering our center backs have been so wayward. Um, I think I'd like Toby to be the middle one that does all the passing, but he doesn't have the pace. And the issue with Nuno's back three as opposed to Conte's is that the middle of the center backs is actually almost a step or two forward from the other two, which means Davinson can't play on the right because then nobody's watching his back shoulder and he sure as hell won't after, what, five years at the club still having the same <laughs> fatal flaw. Um, if we do indeed uh, get, um, ah, I forget his name, but the, the center back from Bologna, um, he's probably a right center back. And I think it's really interesting that we're interested in him because he... Oh, Oh, uh, Jules Kunde, no, but he's also a very good center back. I was thinking, uh, I think it's Takahiro Tomiyasu. Oh, uh, Tomiyasu, yeah. Cool, yeah. nailed it then. Um, is, he, is he not at AC Milan or, or uh, is he um, 
Sorry, maybe I, I picked him up, up wrong. Is he is he a Bologna? Yeah, 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 he's a Bologna. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. But obviously, that's kind of the upside of, of having uh, yeah. an Italian director of football. Is there's a lot of talent that's in Italy that that is just waiting for the right move. <laughs> We're getting like with Scriniar again, obviously. But but yeah. interestingly, the the links to Tomiyasu makes me think that he'd be an ideal right sided center back in a three, not so much in a two, and he's not really a right back. Or a right wing back. He just kind of like floats in all of those positions. So I'm thinking our interest in him might signify that we're interested in playing a back three, which obviously would be a big boost to both Regulon and Dowerty. It would be a huge boost to Sessignon, who would probably be way better as a left wing back than as a true winger or as a true left back. Um, it, it means that you can keep Sessignon even though you're keeping Ben Davis because Ben Davis and Roden could be the options on the left side of a three. You have Toby and Dyer up the middle, and then if we manage to get somebody like Kunde or, or Skriniar, then you're just uh, blessed with even more options. So I, I think that weirdly works out. <laughs> and somebody tweeted me earlier that the the and he could use an entirely different formation so all of this could be useless for yeah. everyone listening but if we stuck with that formation it also means that some players that could probably get us pretty decent returns don't really match the tactics which mm-hmm. unfortunately for some would be someone like Deli Ali or like yeah. Davinson Sanchez um who all of a sudden would find themselves you know available and they're the kind of players that we might actually be able to get enough money from to to sell uh winks may or may not fit into the tactics if he mm-hmm. fits and he takes over um kind of more of that uh nevis role I, his passing used to be good question marks now great if that means he's not going to fit that role for you then yeah. he's available for sale and obviously just the fact that he has a little england flag next to him on his player profile means that we'd probably get a decent chunk of money for him with uh, reportedly villa kind of sniffing around so <laughs> I, I actually think it makes a lot of sense on a tactics board. But again, those tactics might change with all of this talk about Spurs DNA, which is a phrase I very much never want to hear again because everybody keeps saying Spurs DNA and then saying something entirely different after it. When he was like, Spurs DNA is about the people at the club. And you're like, all right, that's not what Levy just said. I don't think anyone knows what it means at this point, but historically it's falling short in the big moments. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I actually think the tactics work out pretty well. So, I've kind of gone through some players that it might benefit, players that it might not. Obviously, Kane is the Jimenez is a pretty easy one-to-one. Are there any players that you think will be looking at this higher and they're like, oh, I have a real chance here? Or other ones that might be like, ooh, I might be on the outside looking in? I, I, I think the interesting thing is, and we had that statement today about how uh, Kane won't be sold without Nuno's blessing. I think Nuno, if he's smart, and Partici as well, are looking at a scenario with and without Kane. Uh, and who can fit in and who can who can do a job in that top three if we have it. I I think Lucas uh, is going to think this is an opportunity for me to actually show the worth that I have, not just in terms of um, uh, shots on target or goals actually scored, but the, the, the volume of work that he does um, for the rest of the team. And I think, you know, everybody sort of has him on the on the out list. I, I wouldn't be so quick. Um, as to, to discard him uh, just yet. Uh, Sissoko, I think, is probably, uh, yeah, somebody who, who probably, I, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we don't know Nuno, Nuno's head, and uh, he's obviously going to have been watching the, the Euros as well, and, and uh, some other players might have, might have suggested themselves to him. Um, Sissoko and, and Aurier were always the ones that you sort of thought were on the bubble anyway, uh, and Lamella, I suppose, as well. Um, as you as you 
accurately said, Davinson is going to need to be replaced at some point, as will uh, Toby. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I we were going to come on to talk a little bit about um, the Spurs players at the Euros, but I have to mention Joe Roden since you already did, and I think he yeah. had incredible promise. I think he had a really good uh, few games, and uh, and I think it's just a matter of finding the right partner for him. Um, and I thought Toby could be that that partner, that uh, that two man partner in the centre of the of the back four. <clears throat> I, I don't know, but I'm I'm glad we have him um, because it would save us actually going out and buying someone just like him. Um, so I'm I'm actually pretty uh, pretty impressed with with him. Harry Winks again. It's one of those one of those enigmas, really, isn't it? Um, like Delhi. Uh, you saw the potential that he had, especially when he was breaking through into the first team. Uh, you saw that he had vision. I mean, the way in which he would pick a pass was actually quite um, uh, quite expert in the in the early stages when he was uh, in the in the first team. But but now you sort of think, well, has he has he really progressed in the way in which you you want him to do? You know, obviously, whereas Delhi has. Uh, has plateaued to a certain extent, although we saw flashes of of towards the end of last season, towards um, you know when when Ryan Mason was was picking him, you you saw flashes of what he's uh, potentially capable of, and and where that might actually um, where that might actually ad- uh, give us an advantage. But I, I don't know. I, I think it all depends, as we were saying earlier, about who we might be looking to bring in. Uh, who also that that determines uh, who might be who might not be along for the ride uh, by Christmas. Hey, folks! I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, and bringing up uh, players that we're looking at, we've already mentioned four center backs. Uh, or maybe not. Joachim Anderson is, is the one that basically seems all but, all but done if Nuno wants him. Um, and then at right back, the fact that we're looking at Max Ahrens and Tariq Lamptey, it, it, I like the profile of the players we're looking at. We could literally end up with zero of the players that we've mentioned by name, but the profiles are actually pretty similar, and I think that's all relatively promising. I do think the funny thing is that we let one fourth walk for $15 million, and he would have been great in the back three, was very good last year out on loan. Um, and now we're just going to spend exactly that same amount on a somewhat similar player with less pace. But I just find that to be, uh, huh? Maybe maybe you just maybe you just keep him next time. Uh, is is one man's opinion? Yeah, no, I I think that's that's right. Also, don't forget, 
we have Oliver Skip uh, to come back and, and yeah. as you mentioned, uh, you know, Ryan Sessegnon back in the mix and, and maybe um, uh, maybe Troy Parrott might get a look in this year. You never know. Yeah, he's being left out by a lot of people talking about young English players that could come back. For for somebody that two years ago was supposed to be the internal heir apparent to Harry Kane, obviously he had a rough loan stretch. He got hurt while he was at Millwall, got recalled, got sent somewhere else. I actually forget what the other club was. Um, but he's still getting Ireland call-ups and stuff. Uh, yeah. I, although, Steve, as I'm sure you're all too aware... The the biggest name player in our academy is almost never the one that actually makes it through. So don't be shocked if Dane Scarlett is our like backup yeah. striker for most of this year, because um, it constantly happened in midfield, especially that the, the big names weren't the ones that came through. Um, I don't know if you remember Suleiman Koulibaly. Oh yes, we absolutely. we poached him. He was supposed to be like this incredibly talented youngster, and then Harry Kane ended up being Harry Kane, and who knows where he wound up. So anyway, just a just a thing to keep an eye on. But yes, I, I am surprised that so few people are mentioning Troy Parrott, especially since we aren't really being linked to any other strikers. Although I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, Carlos Vinicius is a Mendes client. So yeah. even though we didn't take up the option to buy him outright as our buy option, I wouldn't be stunned if we don't get a, a bit of a snip for him in the beginning of the conveyor belt that Mendez installs at every club where we get him for cheap, but then he'll also leave for cheap. And then the question is, do they provide enough value while they're at your club if you aren't regaining the financial value at the back end? Um, that's, that's interesting. I, I didn't know I didn't know he was um, on Mendez's books. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, you mentioned um, some of the players off at the Euros, obviously also uh, the Copa America going on at the same time. But what have you made of some of the news and performances from from some of the Spurs players abroad right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt very sorry for Hugo, obviously, going going out after that incredible penalty save that that changed the momentum in that game against Switzerland. And then they couldn't follow through on it basically uh, but I, as I mentioned I, I thought maybe Roden was the most impressive of, of all the Spurs players and it's 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 easy to forget I think that he has uh, been been a part of the wheel setup for a while now and he's clearly you know grown into that role um, and he has significant support from the other uh, the other backs around him the other fullbacks around him so and, and Bale obviously looked like he was enjoying himself apart from that uh, that brilliant uh, gif of him uh, <laughs> behind the referee when the ref was uh, waiting for the for the penalty check. You remember? Yeah. Uh, but you know, all told, um, as for Harry, and I, I thought England did very well against Germany. And 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 we've talked about this before. The contrasting strengths of the two halves of the bracket. Um, I thought I, I, initially I thought, okay, well, Germany, Italy would m- make an, a tasty final, but, but now I'm not sure you sort of think, you know, Harry can, uh, uh, get back on form and uh, which, you know, yeah, it was a lovely goal he scored the other day. If he can, uh, lead England through to the, uh, to the final, that's, um, definitely very much, a very much an upside. So, and obviously he'll be, he'll be looking for that to, uh, to kickstart whatever season he he ends up uh, he ends up uh, perform wherever he ends up performing, but uh, no, I, I thought um, I thought all the Spurs players I thought acquitted themselves pr- particularly well. There wasn't really anybody that you sort of thought uh, they let themselves down, uh, but I was most impressed with with Joe Roden. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, uh, reportedly, Davinson Sanchez has been doing well in the Copa America. I haven't really caught much of that, but that's good for his value. And I hope I never see him in a Tottenham shirt again. Not to be rude, just like I don't understand how you've literally you you have one error in your game 
and never have improved on it. Like, the fact that he lets people run off his back shoulder every single match, every time. Joe Wellington has, like, three career Premier League goals, and two of them are running off of his back shoulder. Like, it's... I can't. I can't even. I, I mentioned in the match that Delete got sent off for uh, my beloved Netherlands, which ended up uh, knocking them out of the tournament. But even still, the fact that Daniel Levy went to Ajax that summer looking for a center back and came back with Davinson Sanchez, who had just got targeted by Mourinho in a match that he got just very much taken advantage of and then ended up being the win for Manchester United. The fact that we went and we were like, we want that guy not to leaked is just... Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. one of the reasons why I'm fine with him not being in charge of football operations. <laughs> we'll see how, <laughs> how I feel post the Mendez era. But right now I'm like, well, at least he understands football a little bit better than Daniel Levy does. Yeah. Um, but with, You've always said there there is a sort of a challenge in stepping up from the Eredivisie to the, to the Premier League and not... Uh, it, it doesn't always go well. Let's put it that way. And I think the the, the crucial thing for um, for for Davinson is you have to be able to learn from your mistakes. And I don't think he has taken that um, to the to the logical to its logical conclusion. Unfortunately. Yeah. And what's crazy is his first year was his best year. It was yeah. the it was the Antonio Conte and now everybody plays it back three year. But him being sandwiched by Toby and Jan. He was incredible because he brought the pace that we were missing at that position. He could actually head the ball where Toby and Jan would constantly get dominated in the air. Um, I think it's hilarious how frequently they struggle with Christian Benteke, who they've been playing against for at least a decade. Um, So he brought something that both of them missed. But in a two, you just can't trust him. There's too much space in between the center backs when you're playing a back two. Uh, It was a little bit better when Dyer was playing as the defensive midfielder and he dropped back when we were in attack into a back three, because then somebody was at least watching his back. But Dyer doesn't have the best positional sense to begin with, and it's even worse now that he doesn't know what position he is. Like, now his spacing is all over the place because he still plays like he's a confused defensive midfielder and a confused center back, which is why he keeps seeing him just, like, let people either run off him or he doesn't mark the ball. There have been multiple cases last year where players cross the ball across his face and he just didn't do anything about it for tap-ins. Anyway, I don't... I don't need to slate him. I also don't really want Dyer to stay. Also, he doesn't even count as homegrown because the homegrown rule is incredibly dumb. Um, but I'll, I'll leave that there. Uh, with all of the stuff that we've been talking about, Nuno coming in, players doing relatively well internationally, some targets potentially coming in, some players potentially going out. Obviously, we're not even at the preseason yet, but what are your expectations going into this year? What, what do you think is like the ceiling and the floor for Tottenham Hotspur under Nuno Espirito Santo here for the 21-2022 season? Well, I, I think at this stage, um, as it is with most new managerial appointments, you have to take a wait-and-see approach. I think, uh, as I said at the, at the start of the broadcast, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we at least have the managerial team in place, and I'm happy that they're... Uh, they're, they're, they're going to make at least a limited reshuffle of priority and all of that, you know, has to have time to evolve. Um, it wouldn't be a preseason, obviously, if there wasn't speculation about ins and outs and, and we're linked with some, with some signings and you and I've spent a, a bit of time talking about it, but like, like any other moment of transition, uh, like this with Spurs in recent years, then I, you know I'll, I'll I'll wait until they're pictured holding up the shirt. Um, I think the, the encouraging thing, and we mentioned Skip, we mentioned Cessignon, we mentioned Troy Parrott. Uh, the encouraging thing has been uh, the the noises about playing the youngsters or trying to you know get the youngsters to come through a little bit more, and that's where 
Ryan Mason's involvement, I think, is going to be particularly important um, uh, from the from the youth perspective. But primarily, you know, Partici and, and Nuno's job initially will be to help preside over the first stage of a rebuild, however extensive that ends up being. Uh, and I suppose the first that means first and foremost deciding on on which players he doesn't you know that he doesn't Nuno doesn't think can take the team forward. So there there are going to be some some hard choices and hard decisions there. But uh, again, as we said, <clears throat> you know it, it it comes back to this big unknown about what's what's happening with Kane because that sends a message for for every other aspect of the club and 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 obviously it doesn't help that we start the season. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it helps to get it out of the way. Um, we start the season against Man City uh, on August the 15th and, and you know, there's even bets now on you know, which shirt Harry will be wearing that day. Um, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I, th- I think as, as I sort of hinted at earlier, um, Nuno and Partici would be, um, would be remiss if they weren't planning for both eventualities, for, um, for Kane staying and Kane leaving. Uh, and I and I think this, like any other season, um, this one's going to be a lot about belief and confidence. And I and I and I think that will come once we get to know how the new coach wants to play, uh, and and what the implications are for for what what become what emerges into our first choice eleven, and that's with Kane or without. So. Um, it's hard to sort of put a, a finishing spot on it. Uh, it I, I think, as you said, about where Nuno's Wolves teams finished, there's that band. Did you say eight between 8th and 12th or 8th and 11th? For or almost all of their stats, yeah. They finished 7th, 7th, and I think yeah. 13th maybe last year. Yeah, I, I, I think it's. Uh, I think we're we're at a situation where the expectations that we had for how Ryan Mason was finishing out last season are probably carried over into the start of this one, uh, and then we'll see where we go from from Christmas. I don't think we'll get an awful lot of a sense of uh, whether this is going to work or not until until Christmas. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be a little more audacious. I think if we keep Harry Kane, the the absolute ceiling, if things bounce right for us and bounce wrong for other clubs, I think is fourth. I think that's like the the absolute highest we could finish. Uh, with Kane, I think the floor is probably about where we finished last year, seventh, eighth ish, like super yeah. worst case. If Kane goes, I think the ceiling becomes sixth or seventh, and then I don't really want to talk about where the floor is. Um, new players, especially if we sell Kane, it'll be later in the in the window, obviously, um, with with the internationals taking up the the vast majority of the summer. I just don't imagine like we knew Bale was leaving the second we didn't make Champions League that that twelve thirteen season. We bought seven players with the Bale money, knowing it was coming, which kept the prices depressed because people didn't know if we were letting Bale go or not. And then Bale went. We obviously weren't super great that first year. Um, AVB, then um, Sherwood, and then Poch came in the next year. And then we finished sixth, I think, in Poch's first year. And then we drove up the table literally every year until his last one. Um, but I, I, if you have a month and a half to sort that many players with what will ultimately be a larger sum of money than what we got for Bale, I just I just don't see it working this year. And if, if we sold Kane, Nuno finished 
ninth or tenth, he's not around next year. And yeah. then and then you have all that cane money. You spend it to do a rebuild with somebody like a Ten Hog or a Potter, or if PSG goes terribly wrong this year, which I don't think it will. Maybe you try to get Poch back to do the next rebuild again, just like we did the last time we sold a really high-profile high player. But yeah, the, the range of outcomes is huge this year and is going to be dramatically impacted by Kane's presence. Yeah, and, and I think also the teams around us, not just the top teams, but the other teams around us are going to be strengthening as well. Especially Leicester are scary. I think Leicester might just yeah. be a top-four side now. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. I, which, which is why... Uh, there, there was no way Rogers would ever come to us. I don't think under those under that set of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, looking at looking at the two organizations and the two setups, I think the the FA Cup just uh, just sealed the deal. But I don't think it was ever a possibility. Yeah, I agree, especially with Kane's future in question, yeah. um, and the fact that they were already lining up deals for Samari and Patsandaka to kind of make their next generation after their. After their current one that's already doing so well and obviously making the Champions League, winning the FA Cup, that, that's when it was very clear to me, was the second we saw all the reactions between Rodgers and his players and, and uh, yeah. the yeah. ownership, it was like, oh no, he's, he's, he's not walking away from that for whatever the hell this is. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and on that encouraging note or something, <laughs> we'll wrap up. Uh, Steve, if you'd like to tell folks where they can reach you or find your work, now would be a good time. Well, thanks very much, Kevin. It's always it's always a pleasure, always great fun chatting with you. Uh, my name's Steve McGookin. I'm at, on Twitter at Steve McGookin, uh, and you can get me uh, my non-football writing at uh, northernslamp.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me, and folks at home, we hope you keep listening. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.